From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. Hey, thank you, Shaggy. Here we are indeed, Off the Record. And um, I would say the episode number, but I'm going to let Pete remember or guess what it is. I want to say to you, Pete, uh, who's with me today again, Stinky Pete, over in Edelsborough in the United oh, yeah. Kingdom, like myself. Um, think of a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and... Um, Which I've never seen. Okay, well, you might know this, though. What What is the answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? 47. 42. You're close. <laughs> It's 42. No, I have no idea. Listen, you just made me count. I don't do counting. Oh, well, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, it's the 42nd episode. Seems like just yesterday that we started. Uh, it seems like three years since Nick was last on, but, <laughs> but we won't go down that route. Um, yes, off the record, 42nd episode. We've got a theme today, um, and it's going... I would say a, a, a label, a record label that is primarily remembered for their um, music singles, generally, I'd say, primarily in the 1960s, uh, from, from the Motor City of Detroit, and, and they were formed in, actually, in 1959, I think. Um, but and they're still going now. Uh, various subsidiaries. I think most records, as I said, were in, the, in my list that I've got are probably from the sixties and were singles. Um, but I, I noticed Barbie's given me a couple that were probably from the nineties or even the noughties. So they're obviously still going with various subsidiaries. But it's Motown, Tamla Motown. So we're going to get our dancing shoes out tonight, and um, Pete can get out his microphone and do his best Levi Stubbs impression. <laughs> Indeed, I shall. Over to you, <laughs> you Pete. Yes, <laughs> good old Levi. I'm reaching out. Come on, give me some Levi. Yeah, but will you be there? <laughs> Standing in the shadow of love. No, don't go there. This is there's no. way too many puns in all this. No, there are. Okay. Well, okay. Well, Motown. You're going to have a little bit of something to say about this, this before you uh, get onto your albums or your singles or your songs. Um, yeah. I'm sure we both agree that it was. It played an important role in the uh, uh, racial integration. Is that the right term, really? Um, of pop music by an African American label or company, yeah. um, producing a sound that I mean they did remarkably well. They had have a look, seventy nine singles made the Hot One Hundred during the nineteen sixties alone, which is pretty. Damn good, isn't it, really? A style of soul music that's um, mixed with mainstream pop. What do you think? Motown. Yeah, I, I was reflecting on this. Eh? Big fan? Yes, I am. It's, um, I, I, was, I was thinking back about this when we decided this is what we were going to do. And um, I think growing up when we did, and obviously you're, little bit younger than me um but much of a muchness basically when you listen to, yeah that much um when we, when you listen on the radio you know kind of like to was it children's favorites and then junior choice or whatever which was on the light service and then on radio one when it started um and it was kind of it was almost a 50 50 split 
because half of the stuff was the Beatles, Freddie and the Dreamers, um, you know, uh, Ermans Hermits and you know, those kind of bands, Joe Brown and the Brothers. So very English, poppy stuff, Cliff. Um, and then awesome. the other half, yes, yeah, your favourite. And then the other half was Motown, wasn't it? And so the stuff that the stuff that I remember, and bearing in mind, I was always, you know, singing was always my thing. And I think that Motown, the songs were so good from a singing perspective. All the vocal harmonies, all the all the close harmony, just the way that the songs were constructed. Um, they were really, it was singer's paradise, really, uh, Motown was. And so that was what I really loved about it. And it wasn't really until I kind of started getting into rock music in the maybe 70, 71, um, that I kind of drifted away. But then some of the things I've chosen are kind of a little bit later, and there's a story behind why that is. Um, but, uh, sure yeah, I mean... I'm sure there is. Quite, indeed. I mean, it wouldn't be me if there wasn't. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, it, it, was, it was very much a part of my growing up, the whole Motown sound. And when I looked at it, I mean, I could have chosen... I could have chosen 10 songs by a couple of bands... Mm. from from that from that period i didn't but i could have yeah i know what you mean it's always very difficult with these um as graham always says it's impossible to uh to, to narrow it down to 10 or 5 or 6 whatever it is we normally ask uh guests to uh to do um yeah. as you said i'm a little bit younger than you mm. just a tad just a teeny bit just I a did. tad um so obviously i was i was very young in the 60s uh i i didn't really um I, well, I certainly didn't go out and buy any Motown records, that's for sure. But I, I wasn't even bought any Motown records, actually. As you very correctly said earlier, I was bought Beatles, Freddie and the Dreamers, Searchers, Jerry and the Pacemakers, uh, Dave Clark Five, yeah. uh, these sorts of, Manfred Mann, uh, these sorts of bands, not um, the, 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 uh, the Motown acts. Uh, well, there's one particular one I do remember distinctly around the time it was released, which I'll mention when I come on to my songs later. Um, yeah. But yeah, my parents didn't didn't really go for for that. Um, and we're, we're talking about what well, I was talking about, like the, the racial integration of the, the, that that sort of sound, yeah, the, the African American sound into the mainstream pop. The closest we got to racial integration in the '60s was my mum and dad. I'm shameful to say, was the black and white minstrel show. Oh, don't start me. My Do you remember the black and white minstrel yeah, show? My mum and dad used to watch it, and I look back on it now, and they loved it. And I look back on it now, and it just makes me cringe. I can't, I can't even begin. I think most people do. I, could, but I mean, you just can't even get your head around now that was in any way, shape, or form acceptable. And then you looked in the early 70s and they were bussing kids across Virginia to integrate the schools, and you went, yeah, it was perfectly normal. <laughs> it was what it was, wasn't it? Well, minstrels and like uh, were quite, um, uh, what's the word, quite prevalent in like even the 1800s, I think, in the UK, music halls and seaside entertainment and stuff. So maybe that's where they got the idea. And I mean, and for those listening or watching from the US, presumably, but even some younger Britons, Britons, the Black and White Missile Show was um, a light entertainment um, show on the BBC, 
Uh, it came out every Saturday night. It was on. It lasted for about 20 years, I think, actually. Oh, yeah, and the rest. Um, I mean, we used to get, I mean, they had three number one albums in the 60s, actually, which I remember having two of them myself. Um, and it involved basically three, mainly three white singers. There was a baritone, there was a tenor, there was a bass. I can even remember their names. It was Di Francis, John Bolter, and Tony Mercer. That's what sort of fans we were at the Black and White Minstrels. In the I 50s. am, uh, frankly, I'm appalled that you know. And, they, and these were Al Jolson style. They were blacked up. Yeah. To perform and, and were, were behaving in a sort of a stereotypically um, um, African American with with african-american manners shall we say i don't know but uh ironically i was reading about this the other week the black and white minstrels it was on for about uh, seven years uh in black and white on tv i bet you remember black and white tv i do remember black and white tv yeah. i remember and we got the color tv the, the, what they had on their faces was actually red paint it wasn't black funnily enough because the what, black what, didn't, right. didn't really go too well didn't show up too well but anyway how we got onto the black and white minstrels? Well, it was your uh, fault. You raised it. I, I, I I'm did, still, indeed. I'm yeah. still in shock. We went. It was on. The, it became a stage show. Ten well, years. I did. Yeah. Victoria Palace Theatre. We went. I to still can't it. get my head around it. Yeah. Should, we, should we get off the black and white minstrels? Yeah, but please, as far away as possible. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go through. I've asked you to put three albums, whether it be more than that, I don't know, and maybe ten songs or singles. Yeah that uh, you, you would say are up there as your favourite. I know it's difficult to say they're exactly your favourites. You, you might have a different 10 tomorrow. Um, but as it stands at the moment, yeah, these are the ones you want to mention. We'll go for some albums first then briefly before we come on to the singles or songs. Um, I, I'm i going to throw one into straight away because I'm pretty damn sure that you're going to have it. So exactly. I'll, I'll mention it and then you can talk me all about it. And I, have, I know you're going to have it because in the 1967 show them <laughs> yeah. albums just, yeah just go with it <laughs> it was reach out reach out by the four tops, by the four tops. yes uh, which was their uh which album was it well it came out in july 67 anyway it was the um it was the final four tops album that wasn't produced by holland doji holland i know that yeah, it was um before they went on to passage new as you pointed out correctly a while ago um, it does contain six top 20, certainly in the UK, maybe in the US too, singles on it. Yeah. In yeah, it's, almost like, it's almost the greatest hits album. It is almost like that. We'd reach out, I'll be there, Standing in Shadows of Love, Bernadette, Seven Rooms of Gloom, If I Were a Carpenter and Walker Ray Renee, yeah. um, the two covers. And there are another couple of covers on the album as well that were known as well they were known as being by the monkeys by, by being by the monkeys i'm a believer which of course is a neil diamond song anyway yeah and last train to clarksville which is another songwriting team's song tommy boyce and uh, bobby hart um do you got anything else to say about the four tops reach out or uh what? not not really it's just you know I, it, it's you just a great, it. it's a great album and the for me the four tops are the greatest vocal band of the lot um so you know singers as opposed to musicians um mm. and 
I, I don't think I, I don't think there's a single four top song I don't like. So uh, yeah, that was a it was a, an easy pick from my point of view. Even some of that '80s material. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to anything beyond. No, of course you didn't. Beyond 1970. Uh, yeah, no. I, I, actually, I'm not even sure whether it was on Motown. To be fair, I've, I've got no idea. The um, in, but, indestructible or something, like that, or, or something like that, wasn't it in the 1980s? No idea. They had a bit of a resurgence because they. I think I've said this before. They were booked on the Lockerbie flight, the Pan Am flight, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, we had that conversation. All four of them. But yeah. they didn't make it. No, good, good job, really. Because then there would have um, been no tops and that wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no. Well, actually, I noticed in October this year, uh, I saw a post today, the four tops and the Temptations are back in London in October this year. But I think it's actually in the no tops. Yeah, um, it's not any of the original four tops. No. There's, only, the about, there's only about one Temptation. There's one temptation, half a drifter. <laughs> yeah, my, my one temptation. That sounds like another record. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Who was that by? Misha Paris or something like that? Oh, don't ask me. Don't this know, is, you, this is way outside my sphere of knowledge. Way, at this point. way outside your, the remit. It way weren't outside, no, outside anything I know about. Who's well, Misha it was Paris? A, it, was, it was a US number 11 hit, a UK number four hit, this album. And uh, Rolling Stone, We I know you love... Knowing where the Rolling Stones Listen, I so love the Rolling Stone that for the singles, I've done the Rolling Stone thing. All right, okay. Well, this one for the album, the 500 greatest albums of all time, it's number 429. Okay. There are 428 better albums than that, Pete. Well, clearly, the, well, we've had the conversation about the Rolling Stone. The Rolling Stones, yeah. All right, well, we've done that one. Let's go on to the second one then. What have you got for your second album? Um, my second album, I have gone 1970s. And okay. I 71? Have, uh, no, 1973. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I might have that as well. Ooh. Yeah. Would that be Inner Visions by Mr. Wonder? It would be Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. I, I, I was toying over two or three of them from that period. From yeah. his, uh, his, well, it's a landmark Recording isn't it in his classic period? I think in the visions, but you know, talking book and fulfilling his first finale. Uh, well, that, that's the, there was oh. there was these there was five classic albums, yeah. wasn't there? It was talking, talking book, in the visions, fulfilling this first finale, still listening to Key of Life, and um, hotter than July. And you yeah, could, yeah, I could have yeah. chosen any of those because I love them all. But um, but for me, in the visions, and if Rolling Stone do not have this way up there, I would put in the visions in the top twenty albums of all time. It's Perfect. So, um, yeah, it, uh, that, that can't disagree. Eh? Can't disagree with that. Uh, it's well, it's, um, it, it's it's brilliant. Uh, it was a 1999 Grammy Hall of Fame inductee. Yep, it was. And uh, the Rolling Stone had this one in the greatest albums of all time at number 34. Well, that's that's high enough up for me not to entirely disagree. And you and in the charts, US number four, UK number eight. Yeah. Probably should have done better, of course. Yeah. Well, it was it's probably, too, probably too sophisticated. Stevie Wonder. I mean, it was more to do with singles, I suppose, not about the album so much, but he didn't really. You'd think he had a load of number one singles, but he didn't. He had a, no, one. he didn't. But yeah, the um, Inner Visions, which number album was it? I do know this. I believe it was the 16th. 
I think it was the 17th, but it might be the 16th, but it was up there of that magnitude. Yeah, it was certainly up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So his output is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. Yeah. Oh, he made some absolutely classics. And probably probably all the instruments were by himself as well, weren't they? I mean, yeah. I mean, the man's a genius. He's the he's the Stevie he's the um, Steve Winwood of the um, of the soul world. So it must be something to do with being called Steve. It must be wonderful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, <laughs> right. So we've chosen two. We've, so yeah, we've chosen, three. We've chosen two. The same. Can we do the third? Can we do I the think third? there's a there's a strong chance. I'm going with the 1971. Yes, I've got that too. It's it's Marvin Gaye. It's Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. Oh no, it's not. What's it's not. Let's get it on. It's not. I haven't got. Let's get it on. Was that seventy one as well? Well, uh, that's later on. No, it was. I'm sure it was seventy one. It was one of the. uh, Was it was in that uh, the the nineteen seventy one great band thing? I'm sure you'll find. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, I'll look it up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one have you got then? I've got what's going on. Yeah, that's what I meant. You said let's, let's get, get it on. Yeah, no, I know. I, I just said the wrong thing. I didn't write any. I didn't write any. That was clear. Right, that, that was, was clear. clear. So anyway, we have got the same one, and it was 1971. So okay. and let's get it on. Wasn't 1971? <laughs> just to clear that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's going on? Wednesday. It's been a really long week. <laughs> well, what is going on? What's what no going on? Absolutely no idea. This was his eleventh album, by the way. It, it was bloody brilliant. And the concept album. Yes, indeed. Um, I would say, and also had all the songs sort of merging, segueing, segueing together. Segueing into each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sgt. Pepper style. Yeah, no breaks between the tracks. Um, oh, what else have we got to say about that? Yeah, about a Viet- this is the concept of the album, the Vietnam vet returning home um, to his home county to witness hatred, suffering and injustice times don't change do they not really no well, he's well ahead of his time was marvin <laughs> was. Yeah, marvin was right on it he was um and of course promoting awareness of the ecological issues as well so that's another thing he was ahead of his time with as well yeah, he was yeah and a massive hit uh well commercially it was um huge maybe well, it wasn't it wasn't as huge as maybe it should have been but it, critically it was very well acclaimed and I would say it's probably classic 70s soul. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It was um, that cross. It, it was, it wasn't the traditional 60s style big sound Motown. It was what Motown became in the 70s. So I think it was much more, it, it was much, uh, it was much more of a piece as an album like Inner Visions is. And I think the reason I like it is because it has that, it's it feels more mature. I, I think that when I think that the differential between the sixties and the seventies, maybe part of it's about production values, but I think also a lot of the acts were maturing. They were expanding musically. It was it was the same voices, but a different, very a very different sound. Mm. So um, yeah, but it's a yeah. terrific album. Uh, yeah, it's a good album, and uh, of course, Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, where did they? Have the greatest albums of all time. Um, what number is this one? Well, if it isn't lower than Stevie Wonder, I'm just I can't, you know, I can't be doing with it. It's higher than Stevie Wonder. In fact, there isn't any album that's lower than it. Is it number one? Number one one as the greatest album of all time in the Rolling Stones list. 
Okay. Well, they were clearly doing drugs in the office when they wrote it, but <laughs> it's a good album. I, I think that's probably in the latest edition, but they, uh, I mean, previously it's been Sgt. Pepper, hasn't it? And, uh, and knowing Rolling Stone, probably Highway 61 revisited. They do like a bit of Dylan, but probably Sergeant Pepper was up there as well. But no, in the latest edition, 2020, what's going on? Well, Marvin Gaye is up at number one. Yeah, but there's probably something by Busy Drizzle or something in there in the top, <laughs> whatever it is. Or I like Busy Drizzle. Willy, Willy Wonka or whatever his bloody name is. <laughs> Don't start me. Anyway... Right, anyway, so if, so basically, we asked, we were asked to choose exactly three the same, albums, three albums. we chose exactly the same. Three. How weird is that? that no well, conferring, no conferring, no, <laughs> no conferring whatsoever. At all. We chose honestly, the same three no albums. conferring there. Um, yeah, as a matter of a charts purpose positions, US number six, UK. Strangely, I've only got it down as reaching number fifty-six, and that was in nineteen ninety-six. So maybe it just wasn't a big hit over here. Singles the same. I mean, it had four singles on it, three in the US, three in the UK, one's different. What's Going On was a number two. Mercy, Mercy Me was number four. Inner City Blues was number nine in the US. In the UK, What's Going On was 80. So that really doesn't even constitute a hit. Generally, the top 75 is a hit. Uh, Mercy, Mercy Me uh, only made 52. And Save the Children was released over here, and that yeah, made number 41. So that was their highest uh, single. Save the Children wasn't released in the US. Wow. So that's weird, isn't it? All having the same ones. So, uh, it is. We'll Very we'll weird. One side. And then we can, uh, we can talk songs. We can. And I'll let you start. Mine are sort of in a chronological-ish order, I think, actually. Well, I, I, I've been all over the place with mine and in the end I thought right I know I'm going to do what I did last week run 10 to 1 fair enough so you know and because it's me and because therefore you know that I'm just going to do it a little bit left field my first choice my number 10 is actually a white person on Motown oh okay I'm going to guess this one okay it is is it uh, someone something by the first white English female vocalist to be signed by Motown by any chance? No. Do you know who that is? No. Kiki D. Is it really? Yes. Oh, there we go. I wish I'd known. If I'd known, I would have chosen. You would have had her in there. Being, yeah. being the world's biggest Kiki D fan. Uh, no, uh, it, I didn't know that. And no, it isn't. It is... Got to see Jane by R. Dean Taylor. Good song, good song. Great yeah, song. I, 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 I was um, ruminating, if that's the right word, over um, uh, Indiana Wants Me. I like that. Yes, which is, his, which is his other big hit. Yeah. Uh, but and, I, well, there's a ghost in my house. It was a crazy big yes, as well. It, yeah, but but yeah, yeah. Got to see Jane. Good song. Yeah, so Got to see Jane. Um, he's Canadian, singer-songwriter. And the song was written by him and Eddie Holland. So one bit of Holland, Holland, Holland. Holland yeah. Um, it's from the gloriously named album, I Think Therefore I Am. So obviously um, he'd been reading Nietzsche uh, before, uh, <laughs> or was it Nietzsche or was it Kant? I can't remember who. Uh, I, I think I, yeah. I did. Jack, um, Jack I, Nietzsche was a songwriter, wasn't he? Didn't he, he write yeah, uh, Needles and yeah. Pins or something like um, that? Or, I, or, am, I did political philosophy at uh, you, you should university. Know this. 
but I hated every living minute of it, so I didn't pay any attention. But anyway, whoever said I think, therefore I am, was it Emmanuel Kant? I don't know, it was someone. I think it might have been Kant. That rings more of a bell. Or Jean-Paul Sartre. It could have been him. It could, I mean, you know, anyway, a philosopher. Wasn't he in Led Zeppelin? (laughs) Strangely, (laughs) yes, it was. (laughs) Took a very, very philosophical approach (laughs) to playing the bass (laughs) while everyone else was doing quaaludes. Anyway, let's not go down that route. So, released in 1968, so it is a 1960s Motown. Um, And bizarrely, it entered the UK chart in June and it got to number 17 in August. Therefore, it was 12 weeks in the chart. Really? Which is a very, very long stay for someone who basically only ever had one other hit and then disappeared without trace. But it's, uh, again, you know, this whole thing about going back to being a kid. In 1968, I was 11. I was just going up to Buckerstill. So it would have been in and around the charts just at the point at which I was starting school. And it's just one of those soundtrack songs which I just remember singing along to and thinking, yeah, it's a good song like this. So that's what I chose first. Now, my number 10. Do we know what the R stands for in R, Dean Taylor? Roger? No, I'm just looking it up. Oh, it's Richard. Richard Dean Taylor. And R. Dean Taylor actually uh, passed away this month, this very month, January the 7th. So he won't be having any more hits then? No, he won't. Well, that's sad. That's sad. That's taken a dark tone. Um, Let's move on to my first one. And my first one, um, I was tempted by an earlier song, but I've plumped for one from 1961. It was the... First number one Motown song. First number one song to get to, to number one for Motown. Um, UK or US? US. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a hit in the UK. Okay. Uh, it was co-written by Brian Holland, who you mentioned earlier, one of the Hollandosia Holland. Well, he's going to get mentioned a lot, isn't it, to be honest? He will. Uh, it was also co-written by a guy called Freddie Gorman, who, strangely, himself was a Detroit postman. If that gives you a clue. Okay. Maybe it oh, doesn't. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's it's the Marvelettes, and it's Please, Mr. Postman. Right. Um, featuring a very young session drummer called Marvin Gaye. Don't know whether you've heard of him. Uh, he's apparently the number one album of all time. Yes. <laughs> Allegedly. He, probably, he, was, he was playing drums on that as well, probably. Uh, and it was covered by the Beatles on that to get the Beatles in, you see, uh, covered by the Beatles on their second UK album, at least with the Beatles, how that corresponds to their American releases. I have no clue whatsoever. Um, and it was also re-released well, not re-released. It was recorded by the Carpenters. I was just going to say the Carpenters is the one that I know. And they got to number one with it. Uh, so does that uh, make the Carpenters better than the Marvelettes and the Beatles? Well, the, the Beatles, to be fair, wasn't released as a single. All right. All right. So I, 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 could comment on that. I could comment on that, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I can't officially comment on that. Okay. Um, it's one of those N stroke A, not applicable. Okay. Um, in the, they make these lists up out of nothing, I think. Mind you, so do we, to be fair. <laughs> Um, it's very true. In the Billboard, not Rolling Stone, the Billboard uh, list, 100 greatest girl group singles of all time. It was number is 20. that a thing? Yeah, apparently it is, and it's number 22. Wow. It wasn't a hit over here, 
but it was number one in the US, and that's please, Mr. Postman. Right. Cool. By the way, oh, sir. Right. So I'll just read. I'll just shout out to uh, Barbie, who's just um, commented on the. Uh, I think she's been to the uh, to D- Detroit. Uh, the Motown sound was created by a young engineer who cut a hole in the studio ceiling. It's still there to tour and sing into. And the really? studio was a cramped one car, a one, a cramped one car garage or garage, as they would say in America. Or garage, as we said in Essex. Or garage, as we would say here. Um, and yeah, her dad was always playing Motown albums while she was growing up. Yeah, there was a lot of it about. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. There no, was another- that was interesting piece of um, interesting piece of musical history. Yeah. That's what, uh, my, that's what we do on off the record. That is indeed, that is what we do. So my number nine leaps forward to October 1972 mm. and comes from the 15th studio album of The Gentleman in Question, that being Talking Book, The Gentleman in Question being Mr Wonder and the song being Superstition. Superstition, yeah. Which was number one on the US Billboard and number one on the Soul Singles chart. It was the first number one that Stevie Wonder had since Fingertips Part Two in 1963. So he had a nine-year gap between these number ones, and clearly Superstition is a very different kind of sound from Fingertips Part Two, which bore no resemblance whatsoever to 1970s Stevie. Um, It got to number seven in the UK, and it is number 74 in the Rolling Stone Top 500. Yeah, and see. I reckon that's about right. I'd, I'd put it I'd put it in the top 100, so I reckon I reckon that was about right. But number what seven. I love... Eh? Number seven, you say? In the UK. Oh, in the UK, fair enough. No, yeah, I mean, no, on the top, in the Rolling Stone, it was 74. Oh, 74, okay. 74, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a great song, but for me, it's a sound... It's a sound. It's a good riff, yeah, and it's a good. It's the soundtrack to, um, you know, another one of the soundtrack to universities. I remember it being played in discos and at the even at the beginning of rock gigs at the, at the student union. It was they they played that as you know, like the the DJ always used to play Superstition because it's kind of a crossover thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Was, were these at the? Are you reminded of your vaguely alcoholic dancing? Yeah. Well, I've, I was having a long conversation with my um, housemate Jeff, um, who um, who I do still do some work with. In fact, I'm working f- for his business this week, and I did mention the vaguely alcoholic um, yes. nights at the lawn centre, and he laughed out loud and said, I, "You just don't go with vaguely." He said they were just well, that that's exactly what I pointed out. That was exactly what you pointed out, and so uh, he told me I was suffering from cognitive dissonance. Um, so- <laughs> yes, apparently we were drunk. You can get cream for that, I think. I think you can. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and locked up. But anyway, so, <laughs> but no, it's, it's just a great song. And it's not really in the tradition of, you know, the Tamla Motown of the 60s. But, it, you know, we're talking about a label. And um, yeah, that's got to be in there. So that is my number nine. Am I? Was there a Jeff Beck link to this at all? I seem to remember reading something about Jeff 
Beck being involved in the recording or very possibly I mean, created the riff or something. I'm sure something like those lines. maybe he wasn't on the original on the final recording or whatever the master because it was probably only Stevie Wonder again in there, wasn't it? Well, I've got the album probably next door, I could sprint next door and check if you wanted, but well, no, I'm be not careful, going to, be I'm not careful. going to. No, no, no. Um, okay, that's well, that's a good song, Superstitions. Not in mind, so that's good. We'll keep going. Number two, I've got another one you'll be pleased to know. I could have had three actually that were covered by the Beatles on their second album. <laughs> now, this one. I've really struggled I, I to what, get yes I was. <laughs> or Nightwish. <laughs> I've got Led Zeppelin in for you. I mean, no one knew that John Paul Sartre was a bass player in Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah, I, I very nearly got a third one with Money, uh, Barrett Strong. Uh, money, that's what I want. Uh, the Beatles version is so much better. This, uh, the one I'm looking at now, was 1962, November 62, written by Smokey Robinson. And it was by the Miracles. And the song is You've Really Got a Hold on Me. Mm-hmm. Great song. Great song. It is. Uh, influenced apparently by Sam Cooke when Smokey Robinson wrote it. He, was, he wrote it in a hotel room um, in New York, where he was at the time. And he was listening to Sam Cooke to bring it on home to me. And he was sort of influenced by that, so he claims. Um, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1998. Single-wise, again, nothing in the, U- in the UK. So we didn't really have big hits over here uh, oh, by Motan X that, that early in the I was going to say, yeah, not until the late 60s. Late 60s. A lot of them were then reissued. And, yeah. and, and yeah, again, yeah. Even, even in the 70s in some cases. Uh, got to number eight in the US. Uh, it was their second single, The Miracles. It wasn't even Smokey Robinson, The Miracles at the time. Just, just The Miracles. Uh, after their first shop around. Uh, and it was included on the Fabulous Miracles album three months after its release. Good song. Also a good song by the Beatles. Of course. Next. And, what do you and one, that, one that I am aware of, but um, I, I, it wouldn't have come, it wouldn't it have come on the list because it, it, yeah, not, in my, not yeah. in my memory. Okay, so... There's a bit of a story behind my number eight, and the story is that um, when I was, um, the old-fashioned word is courting, going out um, with my uh, now ex-wife, courting, yeah. her, um, her view of rock music was that it was a frighteningly awful din, uh, and that, um, and, and she kind of liked, um, she loved the Beatles, um, but she, uh, but she also liked Simon and Garfunkel. I see and, why you. Div- I see why you divorced her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like in the Beatles. Well, actually, it was the other way around. But anyway, let's not go there. All right, fair so, um, but um, but anyway, so we um, so and so she liked the Beatles and she liked Simon and Garfunkel and Graham Nash and Neil Young and so very much that kind of folky kite type of sound. But she also liked Motown and the sort of those soul singers like the Drifters and the Temps, etc. Anyway, yeah. so in the early years of our marriage, I decided that it was only be fair that as well as lashing out on whatever the latest Yes album was, um, which she then used to put her fingers in her ears and run screaming from the room, um, I ought to buy some stuff which um, appealed to her. So okay. that's why I have stuff by the Commodores and things in my album collection. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I bought was 
the album from which this single is released. Okay, what's the and This was released originally in March 1976. I didn't buy it until 1979 when we were going out. Um, so the album had been out a few years by then. The single is Love Hangover by Diana Ross. Diana Ross, yeah. Yes. And it is from the self-titled Diana Ross album. Is that um, called Diana Ross, Pete? It was called Diana Ross, uh, indeed. That was that, a coincidence. Yeah, it was coincidental, it being yeah. self-titled and all. Eponymous. Eponymous. Eponymous, yes. No, hang on. No, wasn't he a painter? Did all these visions of hell? Wasn't that eponymous? You could be right. Bosch. <laughs> Although, actually, no, Bosch, they make um, electrical equipment, don't they? Anyway, so, yeah, um, so, yeah love, love Hangover. Now, interesting things about this. Um, it got the Grammy for Best Female R&B Performance. Okay. It was a US number one. It was a UK number 10. And... With it, the song broke the record for the most number one hits by a female vocalist. Did it really? It did. So, Diana Ross. A solo I mean, artist, was it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For by females, yeah. female uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. solo artists. But I mean, when you talk about the great female voices, that aren't the great rock voices, the Grace Slicks and the Floor Jansons, then she, she's got to be right up there at the top. I mean, her her rendition of Billie Holiday in the movie, whatever. Lady Sings the Blues. Lady Sings the Blues, yeah. She was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, she act, I mean, she was a good actress in that as well, wasn't she? But she just, her voice is so pure um, and she's just such a terrific performer. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever have rushed to buy tickets to go and see any of any of these bands, particularly except the Four Tops. Um, but I would have loved to have seen Diana Ross in her prime because she was just a terrific performer and she had just had a, a voice to die for. For me, you know, of the of, of those kind of the, the, the black singers of that generation, her and Aretha Franklin stood head and shoulders above above the rest. And what I like about this is it's got it's just got a really good groove to it. It's kind of, it's very much that sort of, it was very much in the heart of disco, wasn't it? 76 was Studio 54 and the whole, the whole um, disco, um, you know, disco was really the thing, wasn't it? Just, it was, was it two years pre Saturday Night Fever? Um, but it's just a great song. And it's one of those ones, which even now, if I hear it, um, and I've still got the album, um, but it's one of those songs, which even now when I hear it, I just go, this is, a great composition delivered beautifully. And so even though it's not in the 60s, it had to be there. So there we go. They don't, they don't all have to be in the 60s, yeah. No. Um, it segues nicely, though, into my next one, uh, Ms. Ross. Ms. Ross. Um, Ms. Ross, yeah. I think Diana Ross was, um, she was She was a great singer. Didn't like Eddie Waring, as far as I'm concerned. Do you remember Eddie Waring as a rugby commentator? <laughs> Open couple under. of lyrics, couple of lyrics, yeah. Open under, open um, under. Couple of lyrics, love child. Do you remember love child? The song love child. Vaguely, um, yeah. Um, it was uh, for Eddie Waring. 
there ain't no salvation or something was one of the lyrics i'm sure this is why i always hear yeah well, it wasn't that no but, so this is like this is like mike reed went out on the dance floor in um, the michael jackson song yes someone yes. Like that. i mean this is all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter if, you, if if that's how you always heard the song, then that's what the song was. That's that's what the song was, and then she went on to sing it again, Eddie Waring, in Chain Reaction, I think, in the eighties. That's a that's another good song. You see, she she always chose. Oh, for, that, I'm thinking of Chain Reaction. I'm thinking of Chain Reaction. That's for Eddie Waring. There ain't no salvation. Yeah, now, she, Love Child. It was. Oh, I'll have to find out the lyric. Um, but it was something on the lines, oh, I, there ain't no child, yeah, no, the, no child of mine will be bearing the name of shame of Eddie Waring. And that was that was it. That was definitely the lyric. You look them up. It's got to be. Probably someone can change them on Wikipedia. Or you can do anything on Wikipedia. But anyway, talking to Diana Ross, I'm going back to my song, which was one of the songs, although I was listening to the Beatles and the, the Freddie and the Dreamers, Jerry and the Pacers, because all those... One I do remember from this era, it was such a swinging song, was Baby Love. Yeah, great song. Wonderful song. Baby Love. And this was um, this was a number one concurrently in the UK and the US. There aren't too many of those in this list. I suspect. No. Uh, Holland Dozer Holland, of course, song. Um, it was, the f- they became the first Motown act to have more than one number one US hit. Uh, the first one being Where Did I Love Go? Uh, and then Baby Love, and then there were, there were loads more. In fact, uh, they've had more number ones. This is Supremes. This is why I was querying about the band rather than the solo artist. They had more number ones than any other Motan acts. 12 singles in the 60s got to number one. Yep. Uh, and obviously, the 12 singles all got to number one, and they were in the 60s. It's probably a record that they still hold now. We'll go to the Rolling Stone here now. Although in the, um, well, actually, no, I'll forget that one. They've, they've been relegated in the 2021 issue to number 499. Well, Greatest songs of all time. Again, just living proof. I mean, the, the, I'm not being funny, but we need to take time out just for one second here. All of these lists are totally meaningless because they have to update them and they have to update them so that the next generation has got some of their songs in there even though they palpably are shite in comparison with Baby Love. So basically all of those old songs that we grew up with, which were actually proper music, will eventually end up being relegated and you'll we'll have just a whole pile of hip-hop and or gr- grind or drill or whatever the f- frick it's called. So yep. no, don't, don't, don't go there. Well, it was it, It's definitely not 499. It's 200 and something. Yeah, it was 324. It's dropped down to 499. Yeah, well, I, I rest my case. The only other interesting thing is that uh, at the end, both Florence Ballard and Mary Wilson both had brief, very brief solo ad libs, which after this single changed completely because Dinah Ross was the only one to have any solos on their 1960s singles. Yeah. But Baby Love did, did love that. It's a, it's a really good, and, and that could have been in my list. I, I thought you might have it, and I thought, well, actually, there's so many to choose from. But Baby Love's a really good song. When you hear it, it's another one of those ones where you just it just makes you want to sing along, doesn't it? It's, You've got to nod your head to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, 
yeah, it's uh, it's not a headbanger because they don't do headbanging. But if it were, then, no, uh, then you could say it would be. Yeah, if it were a headbanger song, it would be a headbanger song. <laughs> it would, indeed, it was. Right, what are you, you going to finish? Uh, right, so now I am leaping forward chronologically. I think this is the newest. Let me just get this right. Yeah, this is the newest one in terms of uh, where it sits. It is released in. August 1983. My word. It is. It is so much of a classic that it has the following. It had um, four Grammys. Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Male Pop Vocal, MTV Video Music Award for Best Male pop video okay can i have a guess it was a uk number two and it was a us number one was it thriller no damn damn um (laughs) it was it michael jackson no it wasn't michael jackson 83 i I thought 82, 83 would have been Michael Jackson. Yeah, well, it would have been. It would have been. I, Tell remember me. Listening, Tell me. I remember listening to Thriller whilst driving up the M1 on my way back up to the Wirral when I was moving from north to south and doing the job and commuting every weekend back to the Wirral. No, it was Lionel Richie all night long. All night long, yeah. Yeah. From his Can't Slow Down album. From his Can't Slow Down album, which I own. Yeah, so this was well. this was one of the ones that I bought because my dearly beloved other half. so loved it very much. So post Commodores, um, but I didn't realise it had won as many awards as it has. But so yeah, multiple Grammy, and again, it's another. I played it the other day just to kind of remind myself of it, and it's another one of those ones where I used to remember listening to it on Steve Wright on the afternoon driving home. And yes. it was one of those ones where if you were driving, if you listened to this, you ended up driving faster by the end of it. Oh, right. <laughs> it was one of those. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good song. It's got a real groove to it. And, it, and you know, he's got a terrific voice, hasn't he, Lionel Richie? I mean, he's... He has, yeah, I could have I could have had uh, one or two of his or his band's songs in, but I I mean, the Commodores were great, mean, weren't they? I mean, there's some... Yeah. They did some really good songs. Started out quite funky, actually, didn't they? Well, I, yeah. I remember their first hit over here certainly was uh, Machine Gun. Yeah, it was. And didn't um, what was it? Did they do Brick House or is that the? Yeah, artist? they did Brick House. Yeah, yeah, I thought they did Brick House. Yeah, and, and they, um, they basically went then went Lionel Richie-ish, didn't they, with the yeah, ballads and stuff? Yeah, and that was when he. Yeah, they did Three Times a Lady and Easy and all that stuff. Still, yeah, uh, yeah great songs though. No, yeah, oh, ter- a terrific. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, truly, I think you said. Um, and another classic was Easy. Yeah, yeah. So Easy and, and Three Times a Lady were the were the ones. They were kind of the ones that signalled the way that he was then going to go with his songs, wasn't it? But yeah. I mean, he as a solo performer in his own right. I mean that that um, All Night Long is a great song. Dancing on the Ceiling is a great song. I mean, he really did nail that kind of dance pop funk kind of sound. In the in in the early eighties, and yeah, it's a good song. So yeah, it had to be in there. It's funny you should say. As a matter of interest, did Mrs. Pete never actually go out and buy any albums, or did you buy them all? I think she did go out and buy. I don't, I don't remember. We might have bought some together. I, I, it's forty I years ago. To be fair, <laughs> to be yeah, fair, it is, 
it's well, it was forty-four years ago that we were going out. So, uh, oh, right. okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, she probably did. I, 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 well, we all the Graham Nash stuff and everything she bought, and the and the and the Neil Young stuff, and I think probably Simon and Garfunkel. Or Paul, uh, actually, Paul Simon. She was more of a Paul Simon fan than Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. Anyway, I digress. But um, like them both. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sticking in '64 for my next one. Um, and it, it it was again written by Smokey Robinson. Well, I say again. I'm not sure the. Uh, oh yeah. Did, did I have a Smokey Robinson one earlier? Can't remember now. Uh, no, anyway, you had was, um, the miracles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah, yeah. And that probably was a Smokey Robinson song, so I did. Um, yeah, this one is, again, written by Smokey Robinson, but not recorded by Smokey Robinson, The Miracles. Okay. It's written by Smokey Robinson and uh, another miracle, uh, Ronald White. Okay. Uh, it was their first US number one single mm-hmm. for this band. Uh, now one of their signature songs. Um, what year was it? 64. Any ideas? Um, okay, no. it was the first song by this band to feature David Ruffin as the lead vocalist. Um, oh, blimey! I know, I get all these bands. It was normally up. either it was normally either Eddie Kendricks or uh, yeah. or the other guy, uh, Paul Williams. But this is uh, David Ruffin because he wanted um, a more. Uh, Rough vocal sound for the uh, for the song, um, and it was the Temptations right. and My Girl. Ah, okay, yeah, that's a nice song. It is a nice. That's, song. Got, that's almost doo wop, isn't it? It's got My that, Girl. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, it's got that. It's just got that kind of swinging, kind of doo woppy sound to it. Or maybe it's not. I mean, maybe that's the wrong term, but you know what I mean. It's that. It's that kind of. Yeah, it's got that nice swing to it. Yeah, Good yeah. Song. Uh, well, the, the David Ruffin's bandmates persuaded Smokey Robinson to let uh, the Temptations sing the song rather than rather than the Miracles. Uh, okay, f- f- five hundred greatest songs of all time. Rolling Stone. We're looking at number eighty-eight. It was a number forty-three hit in the UK. Not much. Um, but it went up to number two in 1992 because I think I think there was a movie called My Girl, and My Girl from Temptations was used in the uh, sound. Yeah, that's actually that sounds that rings a bell. Yeah, that I'm a sure bell. that's what it was. But right. yeah, great song. Yeah, I know time. I know that Barbie is a great fan of that song as well because she's mentioned it and she's mentioned it in her list. So no doubt we'll mention that again uh, later on. Okay, what's your next one? Right. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm now moving into the kind of um, uh, the classic, the classic era uh, Motown stuff. So 60s and very early 70s. Um, and I couldn't have this list without one from this particular vocal group. Uh, but I've yes. gone with the one which I mean, I like all their stuff pretty well. Um, but I've gone with the one which always struck a chord with me. It's the one that I, it's my earworm by them, okay? So this is released on the 15th of April, 1971. It's recorded at Hitsville, USA. 
It got to number 16 in the US, got to number five in the UK. Interesting. Written, yeah, so more over here. And it was written by Kathy Wakefield and Leonard Caston. I was going to say, when you said you had to have one of their songs in, I was assuming it was the Four Tops, but it's a little bit late, 71 for the Four Tops, isn't it? It's a female vocal group. Female vocal group, and it's not the Supremes. It is the Supremes. Is it? 1971. It's the Supremes post-Diana Ross. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, And what year? 71, you say? Yep. April 71. What was there? What was I there absolutely for, uh, love it. Automatically sunshine. I think that was seventy-two. No, wasn't it? Um, no tell me. I'm Nathan know Jones. It. Nathan Jones. Yeah, Banana Rama did a version of it as well, didn't they? Yeah, they, they did. I bet you yeah. love that. Oh yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. They took a great song and just flushed it down the toilet. Um, I. I it's one of those songs, it's got a really good chorus, it's got a great hook line, and I just love the production on it. I think it's, a, for, for me, it's, I almost like it more than, I, I, I almost like the Supremes and Diana Ross apart better than I did together, taking out the kind of baby love and that very early stuff. Yeah. But I think by the time they got to the late 60s, early 70s, they were better off without each other. Dinah Ross, as, as we've said, produced a whole raft of great songs. But I think the Supremes did as well. I like Automatically Sunshine, but Nathan Jones is a, is a brilliant song. I love it. Um, one of eight top 40 entries post Diana. So they didn't do badly. No, they didn't do badly. Oh, she's gone. With, without her. But I love that. I love that song. And when I was thinking about, oh, well, there's so many to put on this list potentially. I thought, well, which, which are the ones where, if you if you said to me, well, you know, name a song by the Supremes that you really love, Nathan Jones would be top. So that's what there I chose. Well, that's what we want. That's what we want them on the list for. Then stinky. Yeah, automatically sunshine as well. That was that was the next year. I remember that was on. Remember I was talking about last week that mixtape, that first mixtape I had of songs. Yes, yeah. With like I don't know Bowie and uh, yeah. Slade and uh, Rod Stewart. Automatically yeah. sunshine by the Supremes was was one of those as well. Right. Um, right. I'm moving forward slowly to 1965 now. Um, you really have done this chronologically, haven't you? Well, I have. I have. So we are, we're going to we're going to collide somewhere around. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at these, and I might. Yeah, it pretty much is chronological. Um, it's uh, another classic, as far as I'm concerned. Another Smokey Robinson song. Um, reached number sixteen in the US. Uh, not a hit in the UK when it was first released in '65, but was re-released in 1969, and then uh, made number nine. Um, as Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. It was probably yeah. just the Miracles when it first came out. And it's it sold more than a million copies in two years in the US. Rolling Stone, number 50 in their greatest songs of all time. It was a 2007 Grammy Hall of Fame inductee. And even in, I've got this, I'm reading, I'm quoting here, in 2008, it was preserved by the US Library of Congress as a um, 
I can't even read my writing here. Um, it, anyway, it was a historically um, and aesthetically significance to the National Recording Registry. And it was a song called The Tracks of My Tears. Oh, beautiful song. Beautiful song. Yeah. Good song. And it was covered by Linda Ronstadt in 75. On I love, um, I love the Linda Ronstadt version. Yeah, Prisoner in Disguise album, I think that was on, uh, yeah. which was a top 40 hit uh in the u.s number 25 and but number it, the lyrics are beautiful aren't they it's when yeah. you talk about the lyrics of a song that they just the heartache in that song is absolutely palpable um and that's what a good song does doesn't it it, it puts you there and you go that hurt it's a beautiful that's, song absolutely it's a great song yeah it is. barbie's saying also a great song tears of a clown but you never know oh. we might come to that shortly you never know well, not on my list, we won't, but um, it's good to hear. Right, what do you got? Um, what have I got? Where have Lose we got Jackie. five? Yeah, I've right. had five. You're going down and I'm going I'm going up. Right, I'm going I'm going down to one. Um okay. so my so the, I, I I've on my list of ten, I've got um I've got four that are by sorry, I've got two pairs where it's the same artist. And so, like you've got Smokey several times, um, I've uh, I, I, I've got two. So, my number five is from the aforementioned Inner Visions by Mister Wonder, yeah. and it is released in November 1973. It's Living for the City. Living for the City, yeah. Which was number 104 on the Rolling Stone Best Songs 500. Um, U.S. R&B chart, number one. Hot 100, number eight. UK, number 15. And a mighty fine song. Yeah, and what I love about it is that it's a mighty fine song whether you listen to the single version or whether you listen to the album version with the bit in the middle where he gets arrested for, you know, not knowing... What he's supposed to do in New York, uh, but I just I think the the lyrics the lyrics have always really moved me because they they really tell a story. Stevie Wonder is really good at telling stories in his in his um, songs, I think. Um, and this one, you know, like Mister Know It All, for example, is another great example that could have been in the list. Um, but Living for the City. It's the way it starts. That just that general, it really draws you in. It's got that rhythm to it. It, it, you, it, when I, when you, when I heard it the first few times, it was one of those ones where you're going, I really want to know where this song's going. Um, and then when he comes in with his, and he's got his absolutely unique voice as well, hasn't he? So you, you know, it's Stevie Wonder. You could, you just know it's Stevie Wonder. Um, and that's sort of mixture of of his voice, his vocal performance. What is brilliant storytelling in the lyrics and then that great tune that underpins it and then the fact that it's got this kind of really nasty underbelly of what America was like in the early 70s for if you were black um, mm. then it's got it, it, then it, it's got all of those elements to it um, I just think it's a great song uh, I love it it, w- it would be in my top 30 of of all genres it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful song so and where did Rolling Stone have it again 104 104 <laughs> not in their top 30 then uh, well no but we know that Rolling Stone's wrong because uh, quite clearly they've got a bunch of crap in the top 
30. But anyway, there we go. I've just had a note from Nancy saying, uh, yeah, we're talking about living for the city. Ray Charles played that with him. That would have been really? quite interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Indeed. Another another great uh, another great musician. And a great performer and a great vocalist. Indeed. Right, I'm moving on uh, swiftly to my next one, which is, again, I've had one of these before, but this is probably my favourite by this group. Barbie might not agree because she likes my girl, but this is from 1971, The Temptations, and it is just my imagination. Running away with running me. away with me. Yeah, great song. I've got that on my Temptations Greatest Hits album. Not Have you? Not unsurprisingly. Well, it's not surprising that you've got Greatest Hits album. You've got a lot of those, haven't you? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I have. Uh, number one in the US, number eight in the UK. So it's not too bad. Again, one of their signature songs. Yeah. Uh, it was their last single to feature uh, both Eddie Kendricks and Paul Williams. Uh, both leaving for differing reasons. I mean, Eddie Kendricks went on to um, have a, a solo career, and Paul Williams, uh, yeah, left for health reasons, alcoholism, yeah. and uh, he had sickle cell uh, disease as well. Sickle cell anemia, yeah, 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 and so on. Um, okay, Rolling Stone, three hundred eighty-nine on their five hundred greatest songs of all time. Uh, well, it's, interesting, it's interesting to me that. We've quoted Rolling Stone now for several weeks. Um, I'm wondering at what point we will have somewhere none of the songs appear anywhere in the Rolling Stone Top 500, because when we do that, I will count that as a victory. <laughs> well, we could do a feature on status quo, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> they're not going to be in there. That's or it could be some weird and esoteric Eastern European prog rock or something. But uh, no, I'd, anyway, yeah, Rolling Stone, God love them. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it was covered by the Rolling Stones, not the magazine Rolling Stone, but the Rolling Stones on their 78 Some Girls album. Right. Um, it was a sort of return to their 60s sound. Yep. Um, Eddie Kendricks was quoted as saying that fans were, I quote, screaming bloody murder as the group delved into psychedelia with the like of uh, baller confusion. Um, uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Cloud Nine. Yeah. Um, so it, it was definitely like, more a return to their signature with Eddie Kendricks on the lead vocal on this yeah. last performance. But yeah, I love that song. Great song. Yeah, yeah, it's a right. Song. Yeah, We've got, uh, a few, yeah, more we've got a few more to do. Yeah. That's whiz through. Yeah. yeah. We're fine. We've got, so we've got 25 minutes. Half hour or so. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, whiz we... through these. Um, right. So my number four is one of two from, my favourite vocal band of all time. So you will Four know tops, everyone. This, the four this tops is, coming this up. This is Four Tops. Four Tops coming up. This is um, released in November 1966. It is a Holland Dozier Holland song. It is off the 1967 Reach Out album, and it is Standing Reach Out. Oh, no, standing in, standing in the Shadows of Love. Yeah, I prefer Reach Out. I'll be there to Standing in the Shadows of Love. Well, Shannon, so, standing in the Shadows of Love, for me... Sounds 
musically very similar to Reach Out, I'll Be There, doesn't it? Du, 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 du. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same it, line it, at the yeah, start. Yeah, it? it does. Yeah, but uh, but that doesn't that doesn't devalue it as a great as no. a great song. No, no, no. You can so choose what you want. Um, I I absolutely. I mean, I love that album. I I love that album to death. It's brilliant. But um, but there's two songs off it which for me are the the, the you know the standout Stand songs of which Standing in the Shadows of Love is one. Um, and um, so it, it had to be there. And I say, you know, I, I talked about it when we did the, you know, the great songwriting teams. For oh, me, yeah. Holland, Dozier, Holland are just pretty well the kings of the hill as far as that type of songwriting is concerned. Um, it, was, um, it was a UK number six. It was a US number two. So it sold very well on both sides of the pond. And it's just... It, it, what the Four Tops was so good at was taking the Dozier Holland, the Holland Dozier Holland songs, and making them theirs just with the way the vocal delivery. They're so tight. They the, the harmonies are so good. The production is brilliant. It's it it, it, it it's a, it's always their stuff has always got a really big sound to it, which is what I like about them. Um, it's that kind of it, it takes what is essentially four blokes singing and turns it into something which is bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, and that's why I love all of their stuff. But it's it's just a wonderful song. When you hear it on the radio, it's one of those goosebump ones. It's one of those ones which makes you go, oh, I love this. You're talking about the vocal sound being large in general. Yeah, yeah, I'm well, thinking well, like the Phil Spector sound was sort of a very large sort of sound. Yeah, it's, but it, it, yeah, I don't want to say that it was almost Phil Spector-ish because it wasn't. But it was it was that grand. They somehow they managed whoever was doing the production. And you know, I haven't done the research. Whoever was doing the production on that album, they just managed to they managed to showcase the voices of the four tops perfectly, but then surrounded it with really really good musical accompaniment in a way which threw the voices out and just drew you in and made you go, "This is just." fantastic to listen to you know it, 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 it's it's a one it's just a wonderful wonderful album and this is a, a is a perfect vocal pop song i think and nancy has said also barry white covered it as well and i love barry white he's just I got a brilliant do. voice yeah. really brilliant voice the walrus of love the walrus of love indeed yeah. All right. And I'm, the Love I'm Unlimited gonna... Orchestra. But he was Philadelphia, wasn't he? Sound of Philly. He was. He was, yeah, yeah Philadelphia. Like the Three Degrees. They were Philadelphia, yes. weren't they? And um, Teddy Charles's Pen- favourite band. Yes, Teddy Pendergrass. All that Teddy lot. Pendergrass. Uh, with, what, Harry, Mel- Harry Melvin and the Blue Notes? Yeah, all that's Philly right. well. Yeah, all that's all Philly. Okay. Um, my next one is probably, I've got it at number, well, it's number seven on my list because I'm just reading them chronologically. Um but probably is my favourite, certainly my top two favourite Motown songs, and it's certainly my favourite ever song by Stevie Wonder. And it came out, didn't come out in the US, actually. It was, a, it was on the Univisions album. It was on what? Univisions. Okay. And it closed the album, I believe. Okay. And... It is called He's Mr. Know-It-All. It is. 
What a great song! And it's brilliant. What a great song. It's brilliant. Uh, it, it wasn't. A, it wasn't released as a single in the states. Made number ten here. Yeah. Uh, in May '74. Um, so it was definitely the highest single chart-wise in the UK from Inner Visions. Um, the fourth single. Um, it was released on the B side of Sir Duke on both sides of the pond in 1977. Yeah. Um, so does that count as a hit? I don't know. It was on the B side. Probably not. Um, it's, well, a, a ballad, isn't it, really? But it, it, it's quite a scathing attack, apparently, on US President Richard Nixon. Yeah, it is. And it is. yeah, he's a man with a plan. He's got a counterfeit dollar in his hand. In his hand. Yeah, that's I mean, the one. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Similar it's to you haven't great, done nothing. Actually. It's a great song. You yeah. haven't done nothing was, I think, yes. the same sort of uh, yeah, it was. Uke, uh, the following year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With uh, Stevie Wonder only played, uh, he only did the lead and backing vocal, piano, drums, hand claps. And, and something else that I can't read. But he did basically did everything, apart from Willie Weeks on electric bass. He was yeah. the only other musician on it. Um, anything else I could say? Well, just keep Not saying. Not a lot. It's just a wonderful just song. And it definitely, definitely my favourite Stevie Wonder song. And as I said, probably one of, if not my favourite, actually, Motown song. It sneaked in there at number seven chronologically. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's an absolutely fantastic song. But I mean, that could. My problem is, I could have chosen the entirety of um, visions, and I could have chosen half a talking book. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's an absolutely brilliant song. But I well, knew my, you, I, that one. I knew you choose because you've mentioned that before. Haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I think I had that in the 1974 singles uh, show. Yeah, that we did. We did, um, before, didn't we? Yeah, I thought that's what we it was did. Before. Yeah, and actually, the next one that will come to after your next. Was uh, is probably my other top, one of my other favourite Motown songs. So, what's your? I'm I'm my absolutely favourite Motown song. I'm obviously keeping until till last until last. Um, I've just realised that I lied uh, because my number three is actually a song by the Supremes. Um, okay, and this is. Um, for telling me Nathan Jones is not actually your favourite ever. No, so Nathan favorite. Jones is my favourite ever. This okay. is um, from 1966. So it is the Supremes with Diana Ross. Okay. And um, it is. Can I guess? Yeah, go on. Is it You Keep Me Hanging On? Yes, it is. Well done. He shoots, he scores. He shoots, he scores. Once again, um, our, uh, our friends Holland, Dozier Holland. Of um, it was the first single from the Supremes Sing, Holland, Dozier Holland. Mm -hmm. It was their eighth number one in the US, the eighth number one by 1966. That is some going. Impressive. Yeah, and it reached number eight in the UK. Yeah. Um, it's number 339 on the Rolling Stone 500. And it is referred to in that august publication, he said, okay. with his tongue firmly in his cheek, <laughs> it is referred to as a pulsating rocker. Is it really? <laughs> Which sounds, you know, vaguely like something nasty. Um, but anyway, 
it's referred to as a pulsating rocker. But it is a, it's a great song. Is it Kim Wilde that covered that in the... Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, Kim Wilde covered it. Yeah, 80s, yeah, yeah. I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Someone else must have covered it as well. Oh, I'm sure. But I it, wonder, it's another... I wonder whether Stiff Richard did it, actually. But I think that's a different You Keep Me Hanging On. It's the same <laughs> title, but it's a different song. <laughs> Don't go there. Um, but it, it's another one of those ones. What I, I kind of said this at the beginning, but what I love about the Motown stuff is that they've all... The really good songs, they are instantly memorable. They've got, they've all, the chorus, the way the song is constructed, the vocal delivery, that's what makes Motown so great. And you, you know, anyone that's heard You Keep Me Hanging On by the Supremes, you hear it two or three times, and I defy you not to have it rattling around in your head. It's just, it's one of those songs which just does that to you. And it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. I'm pleased to hear it. So you've got two Supremes in there then? I have got two Supremes in there. You keep me hanging on. Okay. Um, okay, my other one that is one of my favourites is one. It didn't really fit in with anything else I was listening to at the time in 1974. Uh, I still listen oh, into the old quo, of course, in 74. Uh, and other chart stuff I'll be listening to, obviously, like the Wombles. <laughs> <laughs> And mud and the, and the light. Um, <laughs> waddy waddy. And a bit of Bowie, of course, is in there. Um, Didn't we cover it last week? was, and it's my only uh, duet. Okay. From 1974. Yeah, stalwart Motown couple. Well, they weren't a couple, but you know what I mean. It was from their album... This might give it away. It was from the album, which was called Diana and Marvin. <laughs> Is it Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye? It's Diana Ross and Marvin. I don't know where you get it from, from that clue. Okay. I, I was trying to be quite <laughs> just... clever with the clue there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful song. What is it? Uh, it's, it's one of those goosebump ones. From It's called You Are Everything. We had ah. this discussion again with 74. Do you remember a little while ago? Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, I think it was by the Stylistics. Right. Um, Very ballady. Yeah, back in, when was it? Uh, 70, well, earlier 70s, I would have said. Right. Um, and it was included on the Diana Melbourne album, and it was released as a single here. It was never released in the US as a single, but it got a number five in Old Blighty here. Right. Uh, now, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I read it was the, it's the first official Motown single to be awarded with a silver disc for sales in excess of 250,000 copies. Now, I assume that means in the UK. Yeah, it must be in the UK. Got to Just be in, the in the UK. UK. But it's a feat anyway, isn't it? Well, 250,000 then, yeah, it was. Now, well, nowadays it probably is as well, isn't it? Well, nowadays it is, but you know, you can get to number one selling three to your 37 copies or something, can't you? Um, the stylistics one got to number nine in the US, so that was released. Maybe that's why they didn't release it over there, yeah. But anyway, you are everything. I love yeah, that song, it's a, it's a beautiful song. Beautiful, song. I've, got, I've got two left because I've, I've, I've got two left, and they are my two favorite Motown songs of all time. And in fact, my number one, which I shall come to shortly, is just perfect. 
Anyway, so my number two, please. My number two is Holland Dozier Holland. It is from a 1967 album, and it is Reach Out, I'll Be There by the Four Tops, because you knew that was going to be in there. Um, Number 206 in the Rolling Stone 500, released in 1966, and it was a numero uno in both the UK and the US. So it was number one in both. Yes, yeah, yeah, certainly the biggest. That was the first hit from that album, wasn't it? I it was. think. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Yeah, the, and the biggest hit. Yeah, probably and the only number one here, actually. When you when you listen to that for the very first time, and I remember listening to this multiple times, listening to Saturday morning radio at home, having breakfast when I was a kid. So how old was I in '66? I was nine. Um, so just you know, you know, aware of what was going on. Um, sort of from 64, 65 onwards, I guess. But it was one of those songs where when you heard it, it gave you the goosebumps that a great song will give you. Um, and they just, it, it hits you like a sledgehammer when it starts because it's, it's just that big, big sound again. Um, and again, the singing is just fantastic. It's a beautifully crafted song. I mean, it, Holland, Dozy Holland, you know, I, there, there aren't enough words to describe how good they were as songwriters. But when you look at some of the ones between us that we've quoted, I mean, they just produced. They churned them out, brilliant. didn't they? I mean, just brilliant song after brilliant song after brilliant song. And Reach Out, I'll Be There stands, I mean, it, no, you know, 206, Depends what you're comparing it with. It, you know, it, it's just an absolute classic pop song or pop soul song. And yeah, that album's brilliant. And that is that is the standout track. So that's my number two. So one to go. Excellent. Okay, well, I've got two. Um, now this one is probably one of my, again, one of my favourites. 66. Okay. A ballad. A ballad. That's, that's a lot of them are, aren't they, I suppose. Um, this is how can we describe this one this is um, essentially a song dealing with the struggle to overcome sadness while seeking a new relationship after a breakup it was originally written for uh, the spinners the Detroit spinners yeah, but they were just called the Spinners. Over yeah, they there. were, but the ones that became the Detroit. They yeah, became the Detroit Spinners, presumably just in the UK, because obviously we didn't want to confuse them with the the folk band. Yeah, Spinners. But bizarrely, they weren't on Motown. The Spinners weren't. No, this is trying to nick because they're from no. Detroit. Yeah, I know. So I, I I immediately went to my Detroit Spinners greatest hits album, and it wasn't. Um, and, and and I thought, oh, I can't have that because they weren't on Motown. Yeah, which was bizarre. I never realised that. Well, it was originally written for the Spinners, but the elder brother of this singer, who was David Ruffin, okay. Temptations, persuaded the lyricist James Dean. I presume it's not the James Dean because he was dead by then, wasn't he? He was very dead by then. Um, to let his brother release it instead, or himself. And the song is called What Becomes of the Broken Hearted. And it's Jimmy Ruffin. Yeah, what a great song. 
It is I a great song. June 66. Beautiful song. Beautiful. Uh, number seven in the UK, number eight in the US. Although it released in 74, re-released in 74 again, and it reached number four. So it actually overall did better in the UK than it did uh, in, in, you know, in the US. Um, as always, as a, probably 95% of all these songs, uh, the instrumental backing was, of course, by the Funk Brothers. By the what? The, the instrumental backing was the Motown's in-town session band, wasn't it? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Funk Brothers, yeah. Um, and What Becomes of the Broken Hearted is my penultimate song, Jimmy Ruffin from Great June song. 66. Yeah, beautiful song. I say I've got one more. I've actually got two. I've got to have to decide which one to choose while you're giving me your number one. Okay, well, so my number one is not only my favourite Motown, it is literally one of my favourite song songs ever. Ever. Not by Yes. Not by Yes. Well, they don't really do songs, do they? I wouldn't. Let's not go down that route. No. Well, but well done for mentioning Yes. I've now managed to get it <laughs> twice on top of the Beatles. Um, this is a 1967 song. It is... Mm-hmm. Written by Ashford and Simpson. Oh, okay. 67. 67, Ashford and Simpson. It got to the mighty heights of number 80 in the UK chart. (laughs) Really? Big hit then. And number 19 in the US. So not hugely, but these last few haven't got in the Rolling Stone list, probably. Well, but this one has appeared on countless film scores and greatest hits albums over the years, compilation albums. It's an okay, absolute you classic. Tell me the artist and I'll try and get the song for you. Well, once I tell you the artist, there's All only right. one. There's, well, I'll give it you, but there's only one song. All okay. right, well, give me the song. No, I'll tell you the artist. No, then. no, no, no. The, the, the artist's... Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Well, they had a few singles, didn't they? Um, yeah, but they only had one really good one. Gaye and Terrell. Um, oh, no, I get confused between that and Kim Weston. Uh, it's not the Onion song or... Um, no, I can't, I can't get it. I can't get it. I won't waste time. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no mountain high. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that because Martin, uh, Diana Ross had a much bigger hit with it in the 70s. Diana Ross had a number. It was her first solo number one. Number one. Yeah. And that was in 1970. 70, yeah. her, much though I love Diana Ross, her version isn't even close to as good as the original Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. And um, it is the standout. Well, on one of the greatest film soundtrack albums of all time, which is the um, the the, um, the soundtrack from Remember the Titans, um, it is the it's the one that is used um, in one of the key scenes in the film. So it's for me, it's forever linked with what is also one of my favourite movies. Um, so, um, but I, it's just I, I love the words, absolutely love the words. I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a love song. 
but not delivered in a smolchy, slushy kind of blah kind of a way. It's, you know, it's not schmaltzy. It's, it's the words are a love song words, but it's delivered. I think it's a Titanic performance. I just love it. And I mean, she's got a great voice. Marvin Gaye's got a great voice together. I think they're absolute dynamite. Love mm. it. So yeah, that's my number one. And by far my favourite. Favourite. Even it sticks in my craw to have one that's above the four tops. Yeah, I bet uh, you that's... it does. But it, but it is. It's uh, that's there. So that's my that's my number one. Ain't no mountain high enough. Barbie has said Tammy Terrell replaced Kim Weston after Kim Weston had a major car accident that took a lot out of her. Okay. And also, Barbie rode a bus next to Kim Weston, who sang "It Takes Two with Marvin Gaye, as you no doubt well know. Indeed, she was did. incredibly she was incredibly kind and sang for us because it was a fourteen hour ride on the bus. Blimey. That oh. is a long, that's a long bus ride. That is a long bus ride. Okay, do you want my last one? I'm still yes. I'm yeah. in an ring over which got, one to have. Two. Just just toss for it. I'm just. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you yeah, I'll give you the the, the yeah, okay. Well but neither you what, tell me tell me both and I'll choose your I'll choose the one. All right, okay, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair, Deuce. Neither of these artists we've actually had okay. in any other of these ten. So this first one then was from January 66 originally. Um, during their brief tenure on the Tamla label. Okay. Uh, Ronald Isley was the lead vocalist. Oh, were they on the were they on Tamla? Because I wanted very briefly. They yeah, but they, they weren't were they? Not for very long. They weren't in all ah, the 70s stuff for the teenage, summer yeah. breeze and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking this old heart of mine. Yeah, great song. Brilliant song. Love it. Is weak for you. Um, yeah, their only major hit on Motown, actually, so you wouldn't have been right. looking very far. No. Uh, so when, so they, when did they leave Motown? In 67, then? 69, I believe. Oh, right. I mean, they might not have had any other hits in that time. Uh, Rod Stewart covered it in 75, had a, a reasonable hit with it. Was that, when he was, that was when he was lounging into it? That was when he was lapsing into his lounge singer uh, uh, period? A, a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. A little bit before. 75, 76, yeah. 77 onwards is when he, he went a bit, he went a bit Brit Ecklandy, didn't he? He went <laughs> a bit more interested in his, um, <laughs> he's more interested in his image than, than the music ah. that he was making. But uh, it was a hit in uh, the UK, number 47 in 1966. But when re-released in 68, it made number three. In the US, it was number 12 in 1966. That's the first choice for you. Okay. Second one, I think I know that you're going to pick that one already. But I'm going to say this one anyway. Uh, August 1970, it was the first, uh, it was Barry Gordy co-wrote, who, Barry Gordy was, of course, the, the founder of, uh, of the label. Oh, I was I was wondering at what point Barry Gordy would get a mention. You'd get a mention. You, you you managed to get it in with a few minutes to spare. It in, yeah. It was the first single from the band's third album, which was called Third Album. <laughs> How imaginative! Uh, it was their fourth UK, sorry, fourth US number one hit in a row. Um. <laughs> Number four, it got two in the UK. Um, it was, was it? It was the most successful single released by Motown during its Detroit era. 
1959 through 1972. They went on to LA, didn't they? I think Barry Gordy moved over there. Uh, world was 4.2 million sales in the US, 6.1 million worldwide. 2011 Grammy Hotel, Hotel California. How, how, Hall of Fame inductee is what I was trying to say. Um, don't let this put you off, but it was covered by Mar- Mariah Carey <laughs> and, and Trey and Trey Lawrence, uh, which gave her her six number one single as well. Don't ask for the year of that because I can't remember. Probably the first single by this band that wasn't specifically sort of bubblegum pop. Uh, and the singer, the main singer, became 12 years old the day after its release. Is this the Jackson 5? It's the Jackson 5. And the song, do you know the song? It's I'll Be There. Right. Okay. And it was the last US number one for the Jackson 5. I mean, in the UK, the Jackson 5 didn't have any number ones, actually. Uh, although the Jacksons got done number one in 77, which show you the way to go. Um, but that is my last one of the 11. So I don't know whether you... I'm, I'm sure you're going to go for the Isley Brothers. Well, I would, yeah, I mean, I would go for the Isleys because I, I love the Isleys as much as I love the Four Tops, uh, but I couldn't have them because they're not because uh, they're not Motown. Um, no. Yeah, so I would. I, mean, I don't dislike some of the Jackson stuff, but I like some of the later stuff, stuff like Skywriter, for example, um, which again I like the production in. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I've got. I had so many. I, I, I probably had another eleven uh, honorary mentions, which I'm not going to go through. We've mentioned a few of them in passing anyway. Uh, we haven't mentioned I Heard It Through the Grapevine. I thought that might have got a shout. It's hackneyed for me. It, I mean, it's a good it's a good song, but I, it's, it's been played too much, hasn't it? I think for me, it's not. It was, ne- it was never a favourite. It's all right. Yeah, Barbie's he's given me all the facts today. Barry, Barry Gorda, Barry Gordy Jr., sorry, started Motown with an $800 loan in 1959. Uh, right, I'm going to then... Oh, that's the end of ours, isn't it? It is. We're all I'll, um, there's some damn fine songs that they produced, didn't they, Motel? Oh, and did. loads of others that we didn't mention. We might mention in passing a few here. I've got one, two, three, four people here who've given me their songs. Barbie herself, and this, she's branched out a little bit into uh, more modern Motown or Motown subsidiary labels. Right. For example, I've got... She's given me 10 to 1. Uh, we've got a song called Brownsville by Queen Latifah in 1998. Okay. Ghetto by Akon in 2004. Never heard of it. That was, you know Akon though, don't you? No. Okay. Anyway, that why, was on his day. Why would I? Oh, I don't know. I thought you might have known Lonely. What, what was I doing in 2008? I was... Um, I don't know. Listening to yes, probably, and annoying your neighbours. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Part, part, part way, part way through a divorce and wrestling with nine children. So uh, no, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't concentrated on Acon. Right, eight. Uh, Edwin Starr, War. Great song. Love Child's uh, Supremes. Yeah. Uh, Boys to Men, Motown Philly. Another one I'd not heard of. Uh, Where my girls at? By a band called Seven. Is that seven zero two or seven zero two? Uh, Ball of Confusion, The Temptations, Just My Imagination, he, 
uh, by the Temptations. Bernadette, four tops. My girl at number one, as I forecast earlier. Temptations. Got an honorary mention for Fall in Love, brackets, Your Funeral, by Erica Badu, who I'll definitely have to look up. Uh, what else we got? Graham. You want to hear Graham's? Yeah, go. Just my imagination, Temptations. You really got a hold of me, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles. Inner City Blues by Marvin Gaye. He's Mr. Know-It-All, Stevie Wonder. Living for the City, Stevie Wonder. You keep me hanging on, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Reach Out, I'll Be There, Four Tops. Tracks of My Tears, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles. Let's Get It On, which, as we all know, is from 1973 and not what's going on, um, by Marvin Gaye. Papa Was a Rolling Stone by the uh, That's a great song. That, that was one of the ones I was thinking about, Louis. Papa Was a Rolling Stone, yeah. Uh, Clive's given me a bunch of songs here, uh, all of which I know. Uh, Stop, Look, Listen to My Heart, Diana and Marvin. See, I went, you're everything. The Night, Four Seasons. They were briefly on Motown in the early 70s. Were they? Yeah, very briefly. I love The, the Night was definitely on Motown. I remember it, yeah. Four seasons are fantastic. This was, this was just after the December 63, oh, what a night period, I think. I don't think that, yeah, was, that was on Motown. That was after because it was that and Silver Star, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Silver, Silver Star, yeah. yeah. Um, Terrific band. Papa was a Rolling Stone again, Temptations, Tracks on My Tears, Spoke Robinson, Heaven Must Have Sent You, The Elgins, uh, What's yeah. Going On, Marvin Gaye, There's a Ghost in My House, R. Dean Taylor, Tears of a Clown, Miracles, Easy, Commodores, Automatically Sunshine, The Supremes, Ceylon, Commodores, Ben, Michael Jackson. Love that as well, actually, to be fair. That's a song about a rat. It is a song about a rat, yeah. One Day in Your Life, Michael Jackson. See, if I could have She's Out of My Life, I would have had that in there for Jackson, but that was on Epic, gone from Motown by that stage. Um, One for you here, Love Hangover, Diana Ross. Commodores, still. Reach Out, I'll Be There, Four Tops, and Behind a Painted Smile, Isley Brothers. Oh, You're that's gutted. a lovely. That's a lovely song. You're gutted yeah, that you didn't have any Isleys in there, but that was well, obviously no, because I didn't know they were on Motown. I, I looked yeah, at my Isley stuff and I thought this is all on Teaneck. I didn't realise they were on Motown. And just a few, one more from Katrina. I got heard. I heard it through the grapevine. Marvin Gaye, Shop Around, The Miracles. You've really got a hold on me, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles. Ooh, Baby, Baby, also by The Miracles. Come See About Me by The Supremes. Please, Mr. Postman by The Marvelettes. Tight, Stevie Wonder, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, The Temptations. That's a good song. So that completes yeah, the voting for the Off the Record. I tell you what, Off the Record ought to do their own 500 greatest songs of all time. We or bloody should, because we do a better job than Rolling Stone. <laughs> we That's definitely sure. should. This is definitely got a... This is this has got legs, I think. This has got legs. Have it. And, I, and I've had a great idea for another for another podcast, which I'll share with you in a minute. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um... Right, well, thanks a lot, Pete, for uh, joining us from sunny, dark, dark, sunny. It's not sunny at this time of night, is it? It's midnight now in the UK uh, from the dark. Not too cold, actually, is it? No, no, it's cloudy. It's cloudy, but it's not cold. Yeah, quite mild. Um, Edelsborough. And yeah, that was the Motown. That's Motown sorted. So this podcast will be posted to Anchor. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Breaker. It'll be on the Off The Record Facebook page. There's people who are watching on it now. And CBW Productions Facebook page. It'll be on cbwproductions.com website. And, of course, one day, like the black and white minstrels were back in the 60s, <laughs> we'll be on the BBC. BBC. 
So, uh, yeah. In the meantime, it's uh, good night from me. And it's good night from him. Not off. Thanks a lot. <laughs>